Would you turn with me to Romans chapter 16, please? If you don't have a Bible with you, you're welcome to use one of the pew Bibles that's there. And if you do not own a Bible of your own, please take that pew Bible and keep it as our gift to you. We want to make sure that anybody that ever attends Calvary has a Bible of their own. So take that and keep it. We will be reading together um, at the end of our time to get today. We're going to get to the doxology, which closes the book of Romans. And we're going to be reading uh, that together, so we want to be on the same page. We will have it on the screen as well if you don't have an ESV, but if you want to use one of the Pew Bibles, you're welcome to do that also. I'd like to begin by maybe taking you down memory lane a little bit, and I want to give us a line that comes from a very popular song that's from a very popular movie. And the movie is very familiar to me because I've had two kids that have made me watch it over and over and over again. Maybe you will be able to finish this line as it's really, it ends up being a song that five of them are singing in the end. The line goes like this, if the wizard is a wizard, then he is sure to give me a, I think it's a brain, a heart, a home, and then the noive, if I've heard the lion say it correctly. She qualifies that. She says, if the wizard is a wizard. And of course, we understand that the wizard was not a wizard. It stands out to me how he was revealed, that he was not a wizard, but just a man. Do you remember the scene in The Wizard of Oz? Do you remember when they were cowering and scared of this wizard that was in front of them? And then who was it that revealed the wizard? Do you remember the small character that revealed the wizard? It was Toto. Toto goes over and grabs the curtain and pulls the curtain back. And then the man famously says, pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. I want to challenge us today to pull the curtain back on the church of Jesus Christ. We've been studying the book of Romans. It is a, it's a jugular book to our faith. It gives us the deepest teaching, the most rich teaching on justification, on salvation of any book that we find in the Bible. And yet, we have up till now really been, it's been, Paul's been taking it easy on us. He's been saying, these are the minimum things you need to do because the outside world is watching. Kind of, he says, you need to get along. That's a really brief and simple definition of it, but you guys need to get along. Well, this week we're going to see that the Apostle Paul, I think unbeknownst to himself, he pulls the curtain back, and we're able to see that Paul actually practiced what he preached. He's been telling these people that they, not one of them is better than another. He's been telling them, if you're going to have good success in a church, you have to begin with humility. And now, in the close of this letter, we're going to cover the entire chapter today, we find that the Apostle Paul, he gives us something that is greater. He gives a high calling, and I'm going to challenge you today to step up to that high calling that will build health into a local church that God has given What we'll see in God's Word today is that Paul demonstrates the unity that he's been writing about. 
And applied, this is so helpful because what it really means is that we're going to be able to accomplish more if we work together. All that to take us to Romans chapter 16. A couple main points that I think Paul inadvertently gives here. And the first one that I find is that you and I need to be a good influence on others and we need to choose wisely who we're going to allow to influence us. A simple way of saying this is how well do you get along with others? Is it the case that when you're asked to work with something, you say, well, I don't, really work, I don't work well with a team. Or I can't really get along with other people very well. If that's the case, then you're going to have some struggles in having good things happen in a church. Have you ever noticed there are some people that seem to have an extraordinary amount of talent and giftedness, and yet they can't seem to get things going in life? Maybe you know somebody like that. You'll spend a short amount of time with them and you'll think, my goodness, this person is going places. This one, they have a lot going for them. And yet when we look in God's church, we find that things aren't going to take off unless they're able to work with others. Now, the Apostle Paul gives us a list here. When you get into Romans chapter 16, there is a list of individuals whose lives have been changed by the grace of God. We will see ones that had a big impact on the Apostle Paul that are listed. There are also some that are listed here who they uh, wonderfully were blessed by Paul's ministry. And usually it was a two-way street. Usually that ministry went both ways. I want to read the first couple verses of Romans 16 as we begin. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Sancria, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you. For she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Now, I'm not going to read beyond verse 2 with this first point. In fact, I'm going to give you guys some homework. How many of you like homework? That's fine. I don't, I don't like homework either usually. But what I'm going to ask you to do is read verses 3 through 16 where we have 26 names of individuals listed. And I'll say this, uh, some of those names are not very popular today. Um, in fact, each one of these people has their own story of how God saved them and how God used them and how they made it into the closing chapter in the book of Romans. And if you know Jesus Christ, you'll be in heaven, and you can ask them their story someday. Some of you, you can ask them how to pronounce their name. The Apostle Paul was so good, he even knew how to spell their name. But there's one thing that is in common with all of these, and I'm just going to change the, change the verbiage a little bit. The Apostle Paul says, say hi to these people for me. He goes through these individuals, some he knew personally, some I think he had heard about, and he says, make sure and greet so-and-so for me. You'll find that word greet several times in this chapter. Greet so-and-so for me. And maybe their name isn't that important to you, but I'm sure it's very, very important to them. These are ones who figured out how to work in a way to do something that would last for eternity. So what we find here right off the bat is Paul shows us he was never a lone ranger. 
the Apostle Paul worked with a group of people. That was always his pattern. And so he could not say when going somewhere new, well, I really don't work well with others, you know? Just give me, give me the authority and I'll blow everybody else out of the water and, and then we'll see good things happen. If you're from the business world, you might be familiar with the term synergy. Synergy is the idea that the whole sum of things make up more than the individual parts themselves add up to when they're alone. And that's the picture of what's going on here. Paul very much had in mind wherever he went the teaching behind Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, where it says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. And so beautifully here, we find that the Apostle Paul, he started churches. The Apostle Paul wrote letters, but you need to not miss this. The Apostle Paul made friends. He made friends, and it wasn't just that they were people that were his cup of tea. It wasn't just folks like him that he hung around with. In fact, I think that the thing that he had most in common with those people is they had shared goals. Goals of people coming to Christ. Goals of people growing in their faith. And I think that. That's a great pattern for you and I to use for who we're going to be hanging around with here in this earth because you're going to be hanging around with them for eternity anyway. So why don't we share some of those crowns? You know, those crowns we're going to get for rewards. And there's a great picture of casting those crowns back at Jesus' feet. But wouldn't it be great if you could have somebody just down the row from you or on the other side and say, you know, we work together and we're able to accomplish that crown. I could have never done it alone. That's how Paul works. He never worked alone. He made friends. And I love here that we find the first person mentioned of this group of 26. There's more than 26, but only 26 names that we find. Some of them are a group of people. As you do your homework later on today, you'll find a group of people are listed But the very first person that's listed is a woman. And I think that's significant. It's special because in this Greco-Roman world, women were not considered to be regular people. Second-class citizens was how they were thought to be. And for anyone who wants to look into God's Word and look to the God of the Bible and think that it's misogynistic, to think that the Bible puts down women... I'd point them to this chapter where nine out of 26 of the people that the Apostle Paul says, say hi to them for me, are women. Phoebe being the first. It's commonly thought that Phoebe was the one who delivered this letter to the church at Rome. She seems to be an influential person. She was able to help out the Apostle Paul help out other people in the church as well. So possibly she came from money. But the Bible never puts down women in their role of serving our God. When we rewind to the Old Testament and we come to a point where there's a plot to wipe out all of the Jews, it was a woman that God put into a place of influence, a Jewish woman named Esther, 
And she was put in a place where she had the ear of the king and she showed how brave she was and risked her own life because she understood that God had put her in that place, you can probably say it with me, for such a time as this. And she answered the call and she was faithful. We fast forward to the New Testament and I think Possibly the bravest woman in the New Testament was the mother of Jesus Christ, Mary. The stigma that she had to live with, what she had to go through, how she was faithful to raise this boy into becoming a man, how she loved her son, and how she witnessed him die on the cross. And Paul starts here with Phoebe. You see, Paul gives a list of individuals that they had his ear. Paul was open to listening to others. And I've wondered about this group because like I say, we're going to be able to talk with them someday in heaven. And so this is some of the things that you just wonder what if. I wonder if there were any people in this group that they they kind of corrected Paul when they were with Paul. Do you think that's a possibility? Do you think anybody said, "Now, now hang on a second, Paul, watch your temper. Paul always worked with a group. And it wasn't just that he was the the leader of the band and told them what to do. He was very much open to people correcting him. And it's so important. It is so important that you do not become a person that cannot hear from others. If there's a book in the Bible that talks about this more than any other, I have to believe it's the book of Proverbs. I have in the front of one of my Bibles all the verses written where it says, keep your ear open to instruction. Do not stiffen your neck to correction. All the verses that the Bible lists as far as being open to counsel. Because some of you have ignored the counsel of godly people and you have paid the price. There was a price to be paid in the Old Testament for someone who who stiffened his neck to good counsel. If you're a student of the Old Testament, you know that there was a day when the 12 tribes of Israel together made up the nation of Israel, one country. But then it became a country divided. That happened because of the sin of Solomon, the sin of idolatry, all of those women that his heart went after, and he would allow himself to worship their gods. But the division did not happen during Solomon's life. It would come in his son's life. And it points us to a wonderful illustration of why we need to be open to good godly counsel. Why none of us is above being corrected. You see, Solomon's son's name was Rehoboam. And Rehoboam knew that he was going to be king over this huge responsibility of a country. And he wasn't sure exactly what to do, so he made a decision. Let me seek some counsel. And the first group that he went to, he went and said, what do you think I should do when I become king? And they were the old advisors that loved Israel and loved Solomon, and they gave him some counsel. They said, if you're smart, you're going to loosen up on on the taxes of the people. Some of us like that idea, don't we? Loosen up on the taxes. And also, your dad Solomon, he built an incredible kingdom, but 
the toll that was taken, the price that was paid by all of these workers to build that was incredible. So the counselors told Rehoboam, lighten up, lighten up, and they'll love you, and they'll follow you forever. And then there was a second group that Rehoboam sought counsel from. It was his buddies that he grew up with, maybe his drinking buddies, you know, maybe the obnoxious kids in the junior high class. And he said, well, what do you guys think that I should do? And they said the opposite. They, you need to understand, Rehoboam, that if you give them an inch, they're going to take a mile. Let's start this thing off the way you want it to go. Why don't you tell them that the persecution, the taxes, the slavery, the works that, their dad, that your dad imposed upon them, that's nothing. And we find a record of what they said and then what Rehoboam repeats to the people. You can go back and read the story later on. It's in 1 Kings chapter 12. But I will read for us verse number 14, where he makes this decision. My father laid on you a heavy yoke. I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. And it was at this point that the kingdom divided. The 10 northern tribes basically said, drop dead, we're out of here. And they went north. And then he had Judah and Benjamin left down there where Jerusalem was. Jeroboam was a leader in the nation and he took over as king over the ten northern tribes and it would never be, divide, it would never be united after that. All that you read after that point in history is always a divided kingdom, always fighting amongst themselves. And Rehoboam would have done well to have godly counselors that he took their advice. You need to have someone that will stretch you with their counsel. Some of us need to be pushed. Some of us need to be stretched. And you need to not have people around you that are afraid to encourage you to take the next step. Proverbs 27, 17, iron sharpens iron. And one man sharpens another. So in heaven, you and I get to sit and visit with this list of people. Each one that had a story. I mentioned Phoebe just for a, a small amount of information. We're going to talk about two other groups. Just two in our time today. And then you can read them and study through them. Some of these we have no more information about other than what we read right here with their name. Others were able to do some study from the rest of the Word of God and sometimes some record of history um, in antiquity. We can learn some things. Let me talk about this married couple, Prisca and Aquila. He mentions them in verses 3 and 4. If you have the King James Version, it's easier to remember their name because it's Priscilla and Aquila. It rhymes. You want to put that on your luggage, don't you? Priscilla and Aquila. That just rings. Prisca and Aquila, who are these two? This is a married couple, and they were based in Rome. And as they were in Rome, there was some persecution that came in 49 AD that forced them to leave. And the city that they would go to would be the city of Corinth. And it's so important that they went to Corinth because guess who they meet there? They meet the Apostle Paul. Let me go ahead and give you a picture of what might have happened, how they connected. 
Does anybody remember when the Apostle Paul would go to a city, the first place that he would go to and, and try to present the, the Messiah? He would always go to the synagogue. Now, back in those days, they didn't sit like you and I do in church. In the synagogue, they did have an aisle right down the middle. But on one side, it was all the men, and on the other side, it was the women. And so Paul would go into the synagogue in Corinth, and he would sit down with the men. Not only was it divided by men and women, but it would be divided by class system. And so you would sit in the area with people that were kind of, did the same thing you did. More of the same level of importance that you were. And so can you picture the Apostle Paul going and sitting down in synagogue and sitting next to, not Aquila, but he would sit next to Prisca. And as he sat down next to him, they talked. What? You're a tent maker? Well, I'm a tent maker. And they became fast friends. And the Apostle Paul was able to lead them to Christ. And God uses them in an incredible way. In fact, uh, Priscilla and Aquila have opportunity to go to um, Ephesus and help out the believers there. They eventually make their way back to the church at Rome. And when we see them there, the Apostle Paul closes his book by saying, say hi to Priscilla and Aquila for me. They're special to me. When we look at these ones that were faithful, we understood that these were people they were going to spend eternity with. And so they had made a decision, let's be busy while we're here on earth being doing the things that are going to count for eternity. And as you partner, you develop a love for someone. And if you have a love for someone, then you are going to protect them. I think both moms and dads know what I'm talking about when I say if you love someone, you want to protect them. And that's the next thing that we find here. Protect vigorously your partners in ministry. You and I need to know if we love someone, we need to know what to keep them from. If you love people enough, you're going to want to keep them from people who do not love them and do not love Jesus Christ. Now, we need to qualify something here because in the application part of Romans, starting in chapter 12, we find that the Apostle Paul tells them there are several things that you're going to disagree on. These are opinions. These are preferences. These are not doctrinal issues. These are not jugular to the ministry of the church. Now, he is saying there are people who do not preach the gospel as you know it. And you need to mark those people. And you need to avoid them. These are ones not only that believe something different, but they were going around and they were, they were tripping up. They were tripping up naive believers, young Christians, because maybe they were a good salesman. Maybe they were good at attracting people to themselves. Let's look at verses 17 through 20. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they, de they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. 
But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. So in this book about unity and about make sure you're not dividing over things that are not important, he closes by saying, you're going to have to avoid some people. There are some that you are not going to continue to be around. Avoid them and mark them. Any who love their family are going to want to protect their family. Protect them from what? What were these these people doing to where we should avoid them? Well, they were causing division. God is hates it when someone causes division among the brethren. They were teaching a false doctrine. Most people, when they teach a false doctrine, they don't do away with the work of Jesus Christ. They add to the work of Jesus Christ. And they were obviously upsetting people's faith. And so you and I have to understand that anytime there is a work of God that is going on, there's going to be a counter move from the devil. Or anytime we find a bright light, the bugs are going to gather. We find that. We need to guard against that. Mark them and avoid them. And just to get very, very practical for us today, what I see, how I see this fleshed out today mostly is is in something called the prosperity gospel. People can get a big following if they're promising others that you're going to financially gain if you accept Jesus Christ. How many people do you know that have gone and searched and searched for a cure, for some kind of help from some kind of a physical ailment, and they'll go to the ends of the earth? And there are ones who will prey upon these and take advantage And fill their own pockets. And some of you can can watch them. You'll see them on TV. And there'll be a big red flag because they're always asking for money. But there are some. There are some that need to be protected. And you and I need to understand that God does not promise that because you follow Him, you're going to be wealthy. God does not promise that because you love him, you're going to be healthy. Just take a look at the book of Job. Job suffered so much, and he never had an answer as to why it was happening. The prosperity gospel is the enemy of the gospel. And there are names of people who use the name of Jesus Christ. One of them, every day on the television and on the radio, will even offer some kind of a prayer for you to repeat that might sound similar to a prayer that you said when you were young. But they are ones who are using the gospel of Jesus Christ to benefit themselves. And sometimes the enemies seem so big. Sometimes it feels daunting. It's daunting, this enemy. And that is why I think the Apostle Paul gives us that wonderful word picture that eventually the enemies will be crushed. God will do that for us. 
The last section we're going to look at, and we'll actually read it together, is the doxology, praising God together. But before we do that, I want to mention one more character. One more individual that made the list. He's in verse 13. You're just going to see his name, Rufus, there. Is anybody here named Rufus? Maybe a middle name, Rufus, that I would love to talk to you afterwards if your name is Rufus. Let's see if that was a positive or a negative for you. When we look at Rufus, we can learn a little bit more about him in the scriptures and also in history. We have to follow a story. It's appropriate for us to go back to the work of Jesus Christ at a season like we're in. And Rufus was one that had a few of Jesus Christ when he was going to Golgotha. You see, Rufus was a young child when that happened. And he was there traveling with his father. And the Gospel of Mark records this. The Gospel of Mark records that there was a man that was there. And we remember there was a point where Jesus couldn't even carry his own cross. Do you remember that? He had been scourged so badly that he couldn't carry his own cross, which was the duty of each person being crucified. And so a Roman soldier called out to somebody. Simon of Cyrene, you, get up here. Help him carry his cross. I can't help but think that some people would ignorantly think that Simon might have been a bad guy in this story. This guy who helped carry the cross with Jesus Christ, he was one who helped in the crucifixion. Now, probably most of you don't think that. And we don't get anything in the scriptures of that. And yet, Simon had a unique story. I want to read for you Mark chapter 15 and verse number 21, where it talks about Simon. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. What we know about the Gospel of Mark is that it was likely written from the city of Rome. And so we believe that this Rufus resided there in Rome and was serving the Lord Jesus Christ in that church. And the Apostle Paul says, hey, tell Rufus I said hi. Now someday you'll get to talk to him. Each one of these individuals has a story. And I understand that all of us that are part of this message today, we have a story. Some of you have a horrific story. Things that should have never happened to you in your life. Some of you have, as a part of your story, things that you've done that you never want anybody else to know about. Some of you, even even this week, are experiencing incredible pain. You see, when we, when we pull back the curtain on the church, it doesn't look shiny. It doesn't look smooth. It doesn't look like all these perfect clogs that are going the right directions. It looks like a mess. I understand when God looks at me, apart from the work of Jesus Christ, he sees a mess And when you and I 
come together. We create something bigger than ourselves. We are able to do something that will count for eternity. The longer I'm around, the more I realize the pain that some of you have been through. And some of you share those pains with others. And it's difficult. And this is God's plan that you do not go through it alone. Yes, you have the comforting presence of the Holy Spirit if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, but you also have one that is there with you to help you along the way. And so I want to challenge all of us today as we close our study in the book of Romans to not just, to not just get along. That's just setting the bar pretty low. Can I challenge you to step up to the high calling of working with others? If the wizard is a wizard, then I'm going to get brain, heart, home, the noive. And he wasn't a wizard. I believe that the outside world that is looking in, that seems like they're fighting against the church at every step, I think they want, they want it to work. If the church is really the bride of Jesus Christ, we're going to see amazing things. We're going to see fruit that will come from those people together. We are going to see lives that have purpose, real purpose. We are going to see joy. And all of this will only happen as each one of us continues on with humility. Paul had to take every one of these believers in Rome and break them down. Nobody on this side is better than the people on this side. Nobody. Humility had to be taught and had to be practiced. And now when Paul pulls back the curtain and he lists these people, their name makes it into the book of Romans. He says, these are ones that helped me. These are ones that I helped. These are ones that would protect others when the enemy would try to sneak in. And these are ones that we are going to stand with in eternity and sing, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Paul ends his letter with a doxology. And that's how we're going to close our time today. Could I ask you to stand with me? We'll put this on the screen if you don't have an ESV Bible. And I'd like for you to say this out loud as I lead us out loud. Let's close this study together. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God. Be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the blessing that it is to be able to join, to be able to read Scripture together.
to be able to lift our voices in song, praising you for the change that you made in our lives. I thank you for the cross. I thank you for the church. And I thank you for each broken individual that you bring in. I praise you, Heavenly Father, that you allow us to be used for you. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I want to give you a chance to pray this morning. We have talked about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins and my sins. And the way that you can be confident you'll spend eternity with him is by accepting Jesus Christ as your Savior, confessing that you're a sinner, understanding that the work he did on the cross was to pay for your sins. Ask him for forgiveness, and he will make you his child. Even while the piano plays through, you can pray a prayer. Let the Lord lead you. It could be that you're here today and God has laid something else on your heart. I want to give you a chance to do business with the Lord. Take a moment to pray.